Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Today's guest has a mission to inspire Christians to not just know God, but to live like God is in control. We're joined today by Erica Wiegenhorn. She's released her fourth book titled Letting God Be Enough, Why Striving Keeps You Stuck and How Surrender Sets You Free. Today on Connections, she'll share with us how we can overcome feelings of imposter syndrome, find freedom from the nagging fears of self-doubt and inadequacy, and securely rest in God's ability and commitment to care for us. We're going to hear all of that and so much more today on Connections. Erica Wiegenhorn joins us today. She's the author of a new book titled Letting God Be Enough, Why Striving Keeps You Stuck and How Surrender Sets You Free. Letting God Be Enough. That is a great title. Um, But you would think when most people hear that, letting God be enough. Well, don't we always think that to begin with? But I guess that's not the case because you're writing a book about it. (laughs) That's true. Uh, So the tagline of the book is uh, how striving keeps you stuck and why surrender sets you free. I'm sorry. I biffed that. Why striving keeps you stuck and how surrender sets you free. And I think when we think about letting God be enough and surrender, we have a tendency to sort of think of it in this overall abstract kind of way, like, well, of course, he's God, of course, he's enough. Uh, But if we drill down into our daily behaviors and our thought patterns, what we realize is that we have these areas of our lives where we are constantly striving to fill in the gaps for God, uh, whether it is our frenetic performance to secure an outcome we desire or endless people pleasing because we fear if we don't uh, meet their expectations, there's going to be fallout or rejection or the world is going to fall off its axis if somebody is upset with us. And so when we talk about letting God be enough, what we're really trying to do, Colleen, is drill down that one area of our life where we are trying to control the outcome. And we are not letting God be enough in that particular relationship or circumstance or assignment that we're trying to carry out. So did uh, did this come from personal experience? Like, was this something you've struggled with yourself in your life or just something you noticed in a lot of people uh, through the work of your ministry? Well, uh, one of one of my mottos, Mike, is uh, you can't teach what you won't live. Uh, so this nice. is definitely this was definitely born uh, out of personal experience. Um, you know, I found myself as a Christian Uh, We have certain expectations that we put upon ourselves that maybe the church puts upon us as Christian women. Uh, You know, we are to be that person that the church can count on to volunteer. We are to be that friend that's always there in a pinch. We are to be the ever supporting wife. We are to have the uh, hospitality ready home and the well-behaved kids. And I found myself for years trying to meet all of those expectations of others as well as just unrealistic expectations of myself and I was doing all of this striving um, not that those were bad goals to have but I was doing them out of fear rather than out of love and 
my fear was that if I was not all of those things to all people at all times, people would reject me or judge me or think less of me. And Jesus doesn't want us to ever live in a place of fear. And so what begins to happen is you end up in this frenetic cycle of performance because you are afraid of not being enough, that you're going to let a ball drop somewhere. Uh, But inwardly, you know, you're not enough because no one can be all things to all people at all times. And so you just end up spinning your wheels incessantly, yet knowing all the while that it's only a matter of time until you're going to let somebody down, you're going to forget to do something important. uh, Because you are spread thin in 10 different areas, you're not going to be able to do all of them well. And it ends up becoming this very isolating place because you're so busy doing relationships become neglected and you start to isolate on purpose because you don't want people to know how much you're really struggling to try to live up to all of these expectations. And so it's definitely from personal experience and it really came to a head for me uh, right after my very first Bible study was published. And I had gone to Moody Publishers. It was the first time I was going to meet the team. And, you know, initially I was so excited. Like, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. I can't believe this is happening. This is surreal. The morning I woke up, uh, my good friend, who's also an author with Moody Publishers, was with me. And we were putting on our coats and we were getting ready to walk out the door of our hotel room to head over to the publishing house. And as I started buttoning up my coat, my hands just began to shake and I began to sweat and I just felt a whole knot in my stomach, just clench. And I looked at my friend Kim and I was like, I I can't go. I I, I can't go. Like tell them I got sick. I I can't go. I I mean, we're going to show up. They're going to take one look at me and they're going to be like, what were we thinking publishing this girl? (laughs) She's a disaster. Right. And I said, they're going to rip up my next contract and I'm going to be humiliated and I I cannot step foot in there. And she just cocked her head and looked at me and she was like, you have imposter syndrome. And I was like, what is that? You know, I've never heard of it. And she's like, Google it right now. Well, my shaky hands take out my phone and I put in imposter syndrome and my face popped up. No, not not really. (laughs) But all of the. All of the descriptors that I was thinking and feeling, it it matched exactly. And she's like, this is a lie of the enemy. You are going to go to Moody Publishers today. They are going to love you as much as I do. And out you go, march. And, you know, we went to Moody Publishers. I made it through the day. The whole time I I felt sick to my stomach, literally, (laughs) but I made it through the day. And when we got back to our hotel room that night, I laid my hat on the pillow and I just felt like God say to me, this was supposed to be a moment of celebration. This was supposed to be a moment where you were rejoicing in how I've made you and what I am doing in you and through you. And instead you let the enemy ruin it for you because of a lie that you believed. 
And he's like, when are you going to hand this lie over to me? And I realized in that moment how much I was allowing the enemy to control my thoughts and my feelings. And the more I talked to other women about my experience, the more I realized how pervasive this was. And I knew I knew I had to just expose the lie because we are not enough in and of ourselves. The world tells us, look in the mirror, tell yourself all the reasons why you're enough and then you'll feel better. And the problem is, is that while that's not bad advice, because as women, we do a lot downplay our giftedness, right? When someone gives us a compliment, we're like, oh, no, it was nothing. You're just being kind. You know, we downplay (laughs) (laughs) all the time. Um, And so that is, that's not bad advice to say, you know what, own your giftedness that God has given you. The problem is, is that it's inadequate advice. Because there are moments in life where we will face something where we are not enough, right? Our, our child has cancer. We can't cure it. Uh, we can't set an addict free. We can't put a prodigal back on the path home. We can't force someone to forgive us. We can't resurrect a relationship that's blown up and in shambles. We in and of ourselves cannot do those things. And no matter how many good things about ourselves we can cite in a mirror, those are works of God. Only God can do those things. And so getting to this place of saying, God, this is bigger than me. I, can, I, I have nothing to bring to the table in this circumstance, in this situation. And I need to see your goodness and your glory in it. And I think that's an honest prayer that God rejoices in hearing because God loves to show up in our lives and be God and do what only he can do. But we have to get to a point where we come to the end of ourselves and invite him to be God, invite him to be the enough and his limitless power into our limitations and our lack. And that's really what this whole book is about. How did you manage to find freedom with what you were going through? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's really important to point out, Colleen, is that it's a process, right? We don't just wake up one day and we're like, okay, God is enough for me now. And I never struggle with it anymore. Uh, That is, that's definitely a misnomer. And that's why I think we really need to drill down with, you know, what is that one thing that we need to let God be enough in our lives today? Uh, The one tangible thing, whether it's a child that we are incredibly worried about, uh, a marriage that is rocky and we're not sure how to make it better, uh, a friendship that went went awry and we're not sure exactly what happened there, um, a new job and we feel like, man, this is beyond my capabilities. I, I just don't know if I have what it takes to do this. Um, to identify that one thing where it's keeping us up at night because we're scheming and striving how to figure out how to make this work and to secure an outcome that we want. What is that one thing in our life? And if we can come with an honest prayer before God 
and say, God, I need you to be enough in this situation because I can't be. Then that's the one thing where we let God be enough today. And maybe next year it'll be something different. We'll be facing something new, but we have to step back and, and stop thinking of surrender as this overall abstract thing. And instead visualize that one thing that we're clenching in our fists that we're holding so tightly in, in our hand. And if we could physically lay that person down before Jesus at the cross and say, take this person, they are yours. You love them even more than I do. Take this situation, give me your wisdom and strengthen it. You've put me here, God. I don't know what you want to do in it and through it, but I don't feel ready for it. Lay that one thing physically at Jesus's feet and say, it's yours. And I am going to trust you with it. I really like that picture. And also one of the, as you were speaking, one of the things that kind of encouraged me, cause I actually, I struggle with imposter syndrome after like 15 years of ministry, surely somebody soon is going to figure out that I'm a fraud. Right. Yeah. <laughs> one of the yeah. comforting things is that actually lots of people in the Bible, some of the most important characters in the Bible struggled with this self-doubt and imposter syndrome too. Absolutely. I, I affectionately call Moses the greatest self-doubter yeah. in the Bible. Right? And what I love about Moses' story is when God comes to Moses and he says, hey, I got this assignment for you. You're going to lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses is like, yeah, but who am I to do that? You know, and God doesn't stand there and unroll Moses's resume and give him all the reasons why he's the guy for the job, which actually would have been nice if you think about it for a guy who clearly struggled with self-doubt, like God could have said, well, of course, you're the guy for the job, Moses, like you were raised in Pharaoh's court, you know how this whole court protocol thing works, you know, the Pharaoh, uh, you know, you know how to speak Egyptian, you understand all of their gods and their religion, you were raised as a prince, so you understand government and how to manage people and trained in the art of war. I mean, God could have unrolled Moses's resume and cited a whole bunch of reasons why he was the guy for the job. He could have used that moment to give Moses props, but yeah. he doesn't. He simply promises Moses his presence. Hmm. And to me, that is so profound because it's like when I have those moments where I'm just like, I, I I don't belong here. I don't have a seat at this table. This is beyond me. This is bigger than what I can do, right? Like, um, I, I imagine myself hobbling in, you know, to this to the situation, and I have this giant, like, life size cutout of Jesus. You know, like I'm kind of picturing like the guy from The Chosen. I don't know if you guys watch yeah, yeah. that, but you know, I've got like this giant life-size cutout, you know, and, I, and my arms wrapped around him. And when people look at me and they're like, well, you know, who are you? Who are you to do that? Who are you to speak that or, or be here or whatever? You know, I just want to turn and point to point to that big life-size cutout and go, you know, hey, I'm with this guy. And that makes me enough to be here. Uh, and that's really yeah. what God says to Moses. He's like, you know what, buddy, it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on your resume, your skills, your past experiences. It depends on my presence. If you will just trust that me being with you 
will be enough in this scenario, you can move forward. And that's really an invitation I think God offers to all of us. But what I also love about that exchange is God promises his presence, but then he goes on and he says something so interesting to Moses. He says, when you have led the people out, Hmm. there's no if there. You know, he doesn't say, well, if you are spiritual enough to hear my voice the whole time, or if you communicate effectively to the people, or if you are obedient enough, God says, when, and I love that because from God's perspective, his plan for Moses is as good as done regardless of Moses's performance, because God's plan for Moses's life doesn't depend on Moses's performance. It rests on God's promises. And so does his plan for your life and for mine. And so it becomes really profound for me when I start running all of the what ifs in my mind, like what if I fail? What if I can't do it? What if they don't believe me? What if I can't uh, endure this? What if I say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. What if that person rejects me? All of these what ifs that start playing in my mind, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God didn't say if to Moses, he said, when God's going to get me to the other side of this. And that proves so comforting to me. One of the things as you were speaking, uh, I was also thinking of Jeremiah when God first calls Jeremiah. Jeremiah basically says, I'm too young. I can't do this. And I always kind of laugh, like picture God, like, oh, right. I didn't notice you're young. Sorry. I'll go find somebody else. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. But, and then God's response, basically, this is my paraphrase that I often use. God just says to him, I chose you. I will use you. And it's such an important thing for all of us to remember because he chooses all of us. Right. Absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, we look at some of these giants of the faith in our Bible and we're like, oh, well, those, you know, those promises are for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, I mean, when we look at the promises that God gave to Moses in Exodus three, that he would be with him, that he would fulfill, you know, God said when this happens and God also gives him this beautiful promise of intimacy. He's like, Moses, when this is all said and done, you're going to worship me right here on this mountain or some translations say serve. And the picture is this beautiful promise of intimacy that Moses is going to witness God's wonders. He's going to see God work in incredible ways and understand the magnitude and the majesty of this God that is calling him into relationship. But we see those same promises given to us in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus said right before he went to the cross and in John and his high priestly prayer, he's like, never will I leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always that promise of his presence. And he prays that we would see God's glory in the way that he sees God's glory. And of course, we know no one had greater intimacy with the father than the Mm -hmm. son. And so we have that same promise as well. And and the writer of Hebrews calls God, not only the author, but the finisher of our faith, that God will finish what he started in us. And Paul says it so beautifully as well. You know, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. So we have those same promises on our lives 
that Moses was given, that Jeremiah was given. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so if we will but open our clenched fist and release these things into God's hand, we will see that God is enough. He is more than enough in whatever we are facing to get us to the other side and to bring it to pass, to completion. Well, writing, while writing this book or while working on it, is there anything that um, shocked you or surprised you in that journey? You know, one of the things that, that really jumped out at me was uh, with Moses, of course, still isn't convinced, right? And, <laughs> and like how many of us, right? We come to a new situation and we're like, well, I know what God said to Moses, but I'm not sure I'm fully convinced. Um, one of the things that I thought was so profound was God said in that Exodus three account, he's like, I'm going to give you some signs, Moses, to remind you that I'm with you. And one of the things that he did is he told Moses, he said, uh, throw your staff on the ground. And so Moses takes his shepherd's staff, he throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake. And God tells Moses, pick the snake up by the tail. And when Moses did, it turned back into a staff. But what stood out to me in that conversation was Moses before in his fear, he would flee. He would run away, right? He ran away to Midian in Exodus 2 after his epic failure in trying to be the deliverer of the Israelites in his own strength. He, his default was to flee. And so I find it so beautiful that what God tells Moses to do, instead of just standing there and saying, okay, turn back into a staff snake. God makes Moses reach out and face his fear Hmm. head on and literally squash that fear in his fist. And so what it tells me is that God knows what our fear is, and he has a specific plan to help us overcome it. Something very tangible, because God knows we're made of dust. He knows that our humanity He has something so tangible, a way for us to face that fear in such a way that we will know that he does indeed have power over it and a plan for us to overcome it. And so when we're facing this fear that seems so monumental to be able to say, God, what is what is the sign that you can give me that you are indeed with me in this and that I can overcome this fear of inadequacy. I can overcome this fear of not being enough in this situation. For listeners that may be sitting there saying, well, I'm too fearful to get over this fear and surrender. What would you say to them? I would say, I totally get it. I totally understand Uh, One of the most beautiful prayers of Moses, I think, is in Exodus 33, uh, where Moses was truly at the end of his life. I mean, he prayed like, God, just take my life. I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. And he had really just come out of a moment of uh, epic betrayal by Aaron, uh, epic uh, disobedience by the people, Moses felt entirely alone and exhausted and overwhelmed and worn out. And like, he could not 
go one more day. And in that moment, what Moses cries out to God is show me your glory. And, you know, what, what does that even mean, Colleen? Show me your glory, right? Essentially what Moses is asking God is I, I just really need to know who you are. I need to know the, the depth of your character. And at this point in Moses's life, he had witnessed the greatness of God's capabilities over and over and over. He had witnessed the mighty miracles that God had done on Israel's behalf. But Moses's heart cry in this moment is, I know what you can do, but I need to know who you are. I know your power is great, but I need to know if your heart is kind. And I think that's where that fear ultimately comes from. We know that God can make good on his promises. Where we wrestle is, will God be good on my behalf? Is he truly good? Is he truly for me? Does he truly understand the heaviness of my heart right now? And so there are moments when I have just made that my prayer. God, show me your glory. And what we're told at the end of Exodus 33 is how God took Moses and he put him in the cleft of the rock and he sheltered him with his almighty hand. And he told Moses, I am going to have all of my goodness pass in front of you. Not just a little glimpse of God's goodness, Mm -hmm. but all of God's goodness. And I think that's a prayer that all of us can emulate Moses gives us a beautiful example there is God show me your glory I'm at the end this is beyond overwhelming to me I don't even know how to take my next breath and what God says to Moses is he says I am the God of compassion abounding in loving kindness for a thousand generations Uh, God desires to show us his goodness to show us the depth of kindness of his heart if we but ask him. So that would be my prayer is just ask God, say, show me your glory. I need to know your goodness. I need to know your kindness in this situation. I, my heart is shattered. Letting God be enough by striving keeps you stuck and how surrender sets you free. That book is set to be released next month. So just around the corner, people want to find out about the book or want to find out about you. How can they go about doing that? Uh, The easiest way is to go to my website, uh, ericawigginhorn.com, and you can find out about the book. You can also download three free eBooks there, uh, one of which is 50 Days to Intimacy with God. So maybe some of what we're talking about here is resonating with you, and you're just thinking, I just... I don't know who God really is. I know about God. I know some of the Bible stories, but I don't know God's heart. Uh, go grab one of those free eBooks in my Busy Women's Bundle. Um, if you're ready to say, "I need to know," I need to know that God is good. I need to know how to trust Him. What? How to walk this thing out? Grab a copy of Letting God Be Enough. Uh, I'll walk through you with it together. Uh, My journey was a long one, uh, but a beautiful one. And my hope is that other people will accept God's invitation to invite his limitless power over their lack as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, great talking with you again. 
Thank you. It was wonderful to be with you guys. And thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.